Great text, Thomas. You need to go here. Yeah. Great text. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for introducing new songs to us. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, Elizabeth, since I already talked about you behind your back when you were out of the auditorium, you should probably stand because we prayed for you this morning. We prayed for all teachers, present and future. So, so everyone knows who Elizabeth Ginsburg is. You should probably stand and turn around. And there you go. All right. Thank you. Congratulations on your new position. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you. Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. I would invite you, if you don't have a Bible with you, to take one from our ushers. We'd like to offer that to you for free. And uh, keep your hands up in the air, they'll find you. You may have forgotten it in the car, uh, or you may have forgotten it at home. Uh, but it would be helpful for you, I'm sure, to follow along this morning uh, in the scriptures uh, with us as we study verses one to four of Romans chapter eight. All right, let's read those verses together this morning uh, as we begin. All right. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There was a time when I was in uh, college, my undergraduate studies, that I was struggling tremendously in my life and I called my dad and explained that struggle in my heart. And I said, Dad, um, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you what I'm struggling with, but I'm just going to tell you, and um, I just need help. There was really no one else I felt that I could go to. Um, I had tried a couple of my peers and, and uh, was still searching. Uh, so my dad prayed with me on the phone, uh, gave me some scriptures that really helped uh, clear up my thoughts and encourage my heart. And then he said this at the end of the conversation. He said, Tim, there's nothing that can change. I really don't have tears written in parenthesis in my notes. There's <laughs> <laughs> no dramatic appeal here. Um, he said, Tim, there's really nothing that can change my love for you, so don't ever be afraid to share whatever's on your heart or your mind. Amen. And um, I know that you folks feel the same way towards your children, your spouses, your family members. Uh, but folks, that's Christian human love. What about the infinite love of God? All of chapter eight is about spiritual preservation, our security that we have in omnipotence. That's amazing to consider, isn't it? The security that we have, infinitely and omnipotently held in the palm of God's hands in Jesus Christ and all brought about by the Holy Spirit of God. We are forever secure in Christ if 
What? If you know him. And I just want to share my heart just for a moment here. Romans was a church, obviously, in Rome that had come to realize that they were lost in sin and they desperately needed a savior. These people that Paul writes to have come to know Christ as their savior. They've made a decision that salvation was not found in themselves. It was not found in their good works, their philanthropy. It was not found in a religious institution, a pastor or a priest, that salvation, freedom from sin is only found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had turned from their sin, placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and they began to grow in the word, the word of God, the Bible. And so by the time Paul writes to them, this church is a healthy church, and in 16 chapters, he doesn't level one criticism against these sweet people. They're maturing, they're not perfect. They're perfect in Jesus Christ, but practically they're growing every day to become more like him. But these people have learned that security, true security, true safety, in an eternal sense, only comes through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. National security's been a big topic recently, hasn't it? Our military is doing everything they can to keep our borders safe and to keep the citizens of the United States safe. And we even assist other countries in making sure despots and tyrants that are on our globe um, are kept from even hurting souls who desire peace, political and national peace. But folks, the peace that Paul's speaking about here is not political or national or physical, it's spiritual. All that we see, all that we have has a shelf life. And we realize that, don't we? All that we see and all that we have has a shelf life. We can't take anything with us. We did not bring anything into this world. The Apostle Paul says we can't take anything out of this world with us. So everything that we see and have has a shelf life. There's only one aspect that only one person could care for in our lives, and that's the spiritual aspect, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can can secure us for eternity. And chapter 8 is about that assurance that we have that in Christ Jesus, God preserves us secure for this time and for all of eternity. So no matter how you're struggling this morning, understand that God's love for us in Jesus Christ never changes. And what's ever on your heart or what's ever on your mind, just like my father was able to share with me, uh, certainly we have a heavenly father who keeps us secure and desires to sustain us by his grace and encourage us because we are preserved, we're part of his family in Jesus Christ. Can I read to you a few comments of some various commentators and what they've done to describe Romans chapter eight? There's a Swiss commentator named Godet, another fellow named Fox, another fellow named Trumbull, and another fellow named Spenner. I'm gonna read their quotes on this special chapter to give us a little bit more context about the richness that we're going to receive from these words from the Bible. Godet calls these 39 chapters great because they begin with the words no condemnation and they end with the words no separation. Fox also adds that the middle of chapter is all about no defeat. Trumbull, the editor of the old Sunday School Times wrote, the eighth chapter of Romans has become peculiarly precious to me, beginning with no condemnation, ending with no separation, and in between no defeat. This wondrous chapter sets forth the gospel and plan of salvation, the life of freedom and victory, 
the hopelessness of the natural man and the righteousness of the born-again man, the indwelling of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body and blessed hope of Christ's return, the working together of all things for our good, every tense of the Christian life, past, present, and future, and the glorious climactic song of triumph, no separation in time and eternity from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a tremendous chapter of truth for us about God, how God preserves our life in Christ for us for time and eternity, but also provides for us hope throughout this earthly journey, regardless of our circumstances. I divided this chapter up for you into four parts last week, and this morning I'd just like to consider uh, together the first of four, which we called no condemnation. No condemnation. Um, and we've read these verses together already this morning. Most writers on this passage will agree that verse one, which reads, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, is really the theme or the introduction to the whole chapter and the remaining 38 verses are the explanation or the exposition of that one statement. I don't have a problem with that. And we'll find out why in just a few moments. For our purposes today, as it's stated in your Sunday program, we're going to discuss no condemnation, our standing in Christ Jesus. This standing can be described in four parts this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one of four sections that we outlined last week. We're going to divide this first section into four parts. All right, so here's our outline for this morning, okay? We're going to look at the basis of our standing in Christ, number one. The basis, that's verse one. We're going to look at the function of our standing in Christ. And we're going to find that in verse two. Third, we're going to find the ground, the ground for our standing in Christ in verse three. And in verse four, we're going to discover the fruit, the fruit of our standing in Christ. Now remember, all of this describes someone who's no longer condemned if they're in Christ. All of this describes someone who is secure in life and eternity because they know and have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this truth is effective and effectual, hang on with me here, for someone who desires to be governed by the Spirit, whether they desire that or not. You have to understand, those, if you understand the Bible, who are no longer condemned because they've truly been changed on the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in Jesus Christ, there is a way they will live. So even if we step out of fellowship for the Lord for a day, the Lord has his ways of bringing us back into fellowship within the family of God, and his grace will compel us to live according to the fruit that described in verse four. So all this is gonna tie together, and I hope it's an encouragement to your heart. But by the way, this is not a sermon to help the weak. Hang on with me there too, right? All of us are gonna have weak moments, right? Remember the context. Rome is a strong church. Rome is a maturing church. Paul's not indicting them. He's not criticizing them. 
He's not helping feeble-minded people here. And that should tell us something. So this morning, if we are weak, if we are feeble-minded, we often stumble and we can't seem to find our footing in our new life in Jesus Christ. It may be because of what we said in chapter 6. You may be dereft of a lot of doctrine. You may not know the Bible very well since you came to know Christ. You may never have been spiritually mentored or discipled because we found out in chapter 6, the more we know of the Bible and the more we're able to consider it in our hearts, remember that? and then we're able to apply it and live it, that's where the strength comes from. So we have to remember, you know, chapter six and chapter seven in order to enjoy chapter eight. We're talking here now to a not an oft afflicted people in their walk, but someone who are certainly uh, strengthened in their walk and daily finding growth in Christ's likeness. So let's look at first of all in verse one, the basis of our standing in Christ the basis of our standing in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a couple things here about verse one real quickly. There is no Greek word for the word is in verse one. Okay, that's our English translation, our English way of translating the Greek language. So, we have to understand since there's no word for is, we really have to take the word there out in our New American Standard Bibles as well because those two words in our English are combined to supposedly represent uh, something that's actively a reality for believers. But those words really aren't in our Bibles, but they're given to us to help us understand truth in English. So literally, verse one in the Greek language that the New Testament's written in actually reads like this. Condemnation now, no, therefore. Sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? (laughs) Condemnation now, no, therefore. Or, therefore, now, no condemnation. In English, the way we understand language, therefore, now, no condemnation. Therefore is a simple term that teaches us that chapter eight is the beginning of the conclusion of all that Paul's written in the first seven chapters of this letter to the Roman church. One author said it is because of God's work in Jesus Christ and because of the application of it to us by the Holy Spirit that there is now no condemnation. Remember, we're talking about the basis of our standing in Christ. Let's understand the word now here. We understand therefore. What about now? We should never underestimate the power of this little three-letter word. It represents time for us time for us. This is our present reality and it will be our reality for eternity since you've met Jesus Christ. Therefore, based on whatever's been written in chapters one through seven, you can go back and listen to those sermons on your own if you want. Therefore, based on all that data in chapters one through seven, right now, right now, if you're in Christ, right now, right now, you're fine. And you're forever fine if you're in Jesus Christ. The mighty hand of God that has held you since you came to know Christ is the same omnipotent hand that continues its grip upon you forever. Omnipotence holds you and the Lord desires you apply this constantly to your present day reality. When we tell our children 
when they're struggling. Right? You know, you're a potter. Right? This is not how potters do things. You'll forever be a potter. You can't change that. You are now today a potter. Whether you succeed or fail, you're always going to be a potter. That's your present reality. Whether you like it or not, it's your present reality. But isn't that wonderful when we're in Jesus Christ now, our present reality in Christ, right, is always wonderful. And we'll always like it. Whether we're feeling like it or not, it's an objective reality that God has done for us, that we could not do for ourselves, that he expects us to enjoy. Therefore now know, see that word know? It's a very interesting word in the Greek language. When we tell our children no growing up, we can state that word in various degrees of emphasis, can't we? We can say, no, honey, that's daddy's drink. Don't drink it, here's yours. We might say, no sweet cheeks, right? <laughs> Don't go by the top of the step. Daddy forgot to put the gate up and you might fall down the stairs. We could say, no baby girl, don't shut that door, you'll crush your brother's fingers. Or you could say, Stephen, no, 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 stop, there's a car coming. Right. Well, even the Bible has various degrees of energetic no's. Right. Now, can you pick out on one of those silly illustrations I just gave you which one's the most energetic? All right. That was given in a negative sense, in a positive sense. This is beyond what we call a double negative in the Greek language. It's not ume. It's a construct that tells us, therefore, now, in our present reality, no, 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 nor will there ever be any condemnation. It's like the Holy Spirit of God shouting in your ear, saying, you're free. You're free. You will never, 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 never be condemned. My son is not condemned. You own my sinless son, therefore you are not condemned in him. You're free. You're free. Never, never, never. No, no, no. So when we're discouraged and we're struggling in our walk with God, remember there's no still small voice of the Holy Spirit that's going to whisper in your ear. When it comes to condemnation, he's going to say, no, 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 you're not condemned. Trust me, I did it for you, remember? What I did, I can't undo, because I can't lie. So, so no, you're fine. You're fine. If you're struggling, you're fine. All right, isn't that cool? All right? No, no, how silly, no. No, sweetheart. No. Right? God still loves his son the same way he's always loved his son. He can't help but love his son perfectly. And Jesus is in you, so he loves you perfectly because when he looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are forever perfect in him now. Let that reality change the way you live. Okay, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So, so those of you who are guests, I don't get that loud every morning, but the grammar made me. <laughs> we'll blame it on the Greek New Testament. I just wanted to tell you how exciting this is, so hopefully your ears aren't ringing. Um, 
too badly. Paul is saying, based on what you've learned in all these chapters so far, you're not condemned. What about condemnation? Therefore, now, no condemnation. Well, it's really interesting. This particular word condemnation is only used three times in the New Testament. And Paul uses all three of them here in the book of Romans. We find two of them in Romans 5, verses 16 and 18, and we find the third one here in Romans 8, 1. This is a forensic term. All right, this is a forensic term, just like the word justification that we studied a few weeks back for a while. The idea is clear here in the Greek grammar. All right, there is no double jeopardy for the Christian. You've been in a courtroom, possibly you've watched a court proceeding, right? Whether you, whether you agreed with the verdict or not, when O.J. Simpson was acquitted of the crime of the slaughter of his wife, Right? There was one crime he could never be tried for again. Right? Now, that's the same as it is in God's judicial courtroom. When you come to God in Jesus Christ, right, you turn from your sin, place your faith in him, he acquits you. You've been declared righteous in Jesus Christ and you can never be tried for those sinful crimes again. That's what it means here. It's a forensic term. There is no double jeopardy. There is no condemnation for you. No, no, no condemnation. No double jeopardy ever. Right? So even when you fail as a believer, right, all right, Satan's going to want to take your thoughts and drive you back into your past and say this. Well, you must never have been born again in the first place because, look, you just did the same thing you did for all those years before you met this Jesus guy. Well, if you were truly saved, right, we go back to Romans chapter eight and verse one. Based on all of the first seven chapters, right now, your present reality is absolutely no way will you ever be condemned. God will never try you twice for the same crime. You're acquitted, forever acquitted, past, present, and future sins in Jesus Christ. And I wanna ask you, who in this room deserved that acquittal? Right. Some of you might say, well, O.J. didn't deserve that acquittal. The sermon's not about O.J. Why did we deserve ours? We didn't, did we? Right. But God granted it to us by his grace, and we're forever happy that he did so. Right. Jesus Christ took your condemnation on the cross. He lived out your eternal judgment on the cross of Calvary. God laid on him the iniquity of us all, as Isaiah 53 says. You've been eternally acquitted and can never be tried. Again, reminds me of the hymn that we often sing here. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Right, Pastor Mike? Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. To God I'm reconciled, his pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer, what? Fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. As Douglas Moo states in his commentary regarding this particular verse, because we are justified by faith in conjunction with our own union with Christ, we escape the sentence of spiritual death that our sins have justly earned us 
transferred into the new regime of life, we no longer fear that our sins will ever condemn us. There are no conditions for us to meet to gain this standing, and there are no conditions given to maintain it once it's received. Hang on with me here, especially for those of you that know your Bibles well. I'm gonna restate that. There are no conditions for us to meet to gain this standing, and there are no conditions given to maintain it once it's received. Why? Because it's something God's done for us. When we turn from sin and place our faith in Christ, God does something for us. He grants us that standing. And since you didn't do anything to receive it, there's nothing you can do to have it taken away. Does that make sense? Okay. Especially for those of you who are newly saved. There's more than a handful here that's been, that have come to know Christ in the last month or two. Right? You didn't do anything to gain it. You can't do anything to lose it. God's grace wrought this in your heart. Okay. And he cannot undo it. He cannot undo it. Right? We are in Christ and him in God who cannot lie, will by his grace continue to perform his work in us. His grace then will cause us or to compel us to pursue right living. So verse two, the function. The function of our standing in Christ. You know, the first time I ever went water skiing was with my wife and her family after we started dating, the summer after we started dating. Uh, That probably had to be the funniest sight in the world for them, right? Six foot five, 215 pound guy trying to get up on water skis for the first time. Have you ever been water skiing, anybody? All right, water skiing's a blast. So Rhonda gets out and she hot dogs it, right? She's, She's not two skis, one, right? So she's slaloming all over the place, right? So picture Rhonda slaloming, right, over waves, you know, doing, doing the athletic thing. Then I came out in the water. I've never been on skis in my life, snow or water. And um, they couldn't even get me up out of the water the first time. You remember that? Your dad got, <laughs> your dad got tired of trying. And I didn't know if he was, was going to break the motor and the engine, or the, on the boat or what. But I just couldn't do it. And uh, I got back in the boat and Rhonda said, hey, you know, try bending your knees you know, because I was trying to straighten my legs out and I was trying to get up on my legs. It's just, if you've ever been water skiing, you know what an f- epic fail that will be if you try to do that. So she says, use your legs as a, you know, kind of like a shock absorber, bend your knees, and then, all right, and sit, right? Sit until I get up. She's still instructing me now. So I got back in the water and I realized that, that my legs weren't tired, my forearms were tired, right? Because when you're grabbing, that boat's pulling, and it's really, really <laughs> pulling. And you don't realize it at the time, but I got back in the water, and uh, the second time, I believe it was, I failed in the sit mechanism, or way first, the second time I got up. And um, I fell quickly, and then I got up again and stayed a little longer. Uh, but then I just needed a break. And my legs didn't need a break, my arms needed a break. I can remember the next day, uh, her mom was making me one of her epic lunches she used to make me. And uh, she came and she handed me the plate of food and I dropped the plate of food. I literally had no strength in my fingers (laughs) to hold up a plate of food. She handed it, I was like, boom. And uh, my my forearms just hurt 
like crazy. Uh, so people uh, throughout the rest of that day or so were doing things for me that I could not do for myself. All right? It's hard being 18 and not being 19 at that point and not being able to feed yourself or hold up a can of Coke, right? Or a glass of water uh, to drink, but, but that was my sad state. Uh, understanding uh, a desperate need to someone help me with things I could not do, uh, let's look real quickly here uh, at the function of our standing of Christ in verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of, spirit of, the, of, of the spirit of death. The law of sin and of death, excuse me, okay? So, you see that first word, for, in verse two? It's a continuation of what the reality is for us in verse one, so keep that in mind. The basis of our standing. Now, based on that basis, let's look at the function. In other words, since you are secure, and there is no more condemnation for you, this is why that's happened. This is why that's happened. God's done something else for you that you are completely without strength to do on your own. Okay? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. You did not set yourself free. We know that the Mosaic law cannot save us or grow us. We learn that from chapter six and seven. So there must be a law of supernatural governance of all things to do this for us. What man cannot do, God can and did do. This is the law of the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit miraculously drew our hearts to Christ and his law is not death, but his law is life. Just as the law of man and Moses is given to show us our need for Christ, the law of the spirit supplies for us that need to the opposite extreme. In other words, there's a new sheriff in town when you come to know Christ as your Savior. And in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we have new life. So the law was given to us for one reason, right? To prove to us that we're what? Sinners. And that we need a Savior. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God comes along and says, I'm going to be the polar opposite to that. All right? The law of Moses, which was called spiritual good, remember that, just, right, it did its job. It proved to you you needed Jesus. Now, I'm presenting Jesus to you, the Holy Spirit says, and I'm offering to you regeneration. Study that out in your Bible. This is something the Holy Spirit gives to us, and it simply means this. The Holy Spirit convinces us of who Jesus is, and the moment we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He does this. He takes us from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. That's regeneration. He is the spirit of life. He is the spirit of life. And since he's God, he's able to omnipotently perform this in us and sustain what he's performed. After being given this life in the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us also that he seals us unto the day of our redemption from this earth. One godly man says that the law of the spirit of life is like the law of gravitation that operates all the time only in the spiritual world. 
It can't help itself but do its job. The Holy Spirit has set us free. Set us free from what? The law of sin and death. Before we come to know Christ as our Savior, we have a despot, we have a different sheriff that's in town calling the shots in our life, and we're compelled by our old sin nature to live under patterns of sin, regardless of the degree of wickedness. But when God changes a heart, he sets our feet in a new spiritual direction. And we are free from the penalty of sin, eternal judgment. We're free from the power of sin in our lives. And someday we'll even be free from the presence of sin in our lives. This is truly what the law of the spirit of life does for us. So that's the basis and the function of our standing. Now let's consider the ground of our standing in verse three. The ground of our standing. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The ground of our standing. Again, we begin here, verse three, with a familiar word, for. So you'll notice the succession here grammatically. All right. Verse two gives us some reality as a, on the basis of verse one. Now, verse three is going to give us a further reality based on the truth we've been given in verse number two. Right. So what do we see here? Right. Well, though, the, though chapter seven described the law of Moses as we've already stated as good, spiritual, holy, and righteous, there are two things again that the law cannot do. It can't save us and it can't grow us. All right. The text here literally says, it was weak in the flesh. Moses was a man. That's what it's saying here. All right? The law of Moses was weak in the flesh. As Moses, who was a man in flesh, gave it, it was weak. All right? Moses was a man that couldn't even obey perfectly the Ten Commandments given to him by God. And neither could the Israelites, who had received it from him. In their flesh, they could not satisfy the demands of the law. The more they tried, the more they failed. The law was not designed to save, but to convict. So the law was not enough to help transform man's heart. It just began to tell man, as we've already stated, his need for Christ. So here's the active side of the ground, and then we'll look at the passive side, right? That was the passive side. Here's the active side. What the law could not do, God did. And I love the second half of this verse. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. This is an explanation of the purpose for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice the grammar here. It's very intentional. The grammar shows that God took on flesh in Christ, but it was a mere likeness of sinful flesh. It was not sinful flesh. That's why the word likeness is here. Right? Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, and he lived a sinful life. And it says here, he came to die for sin. Now, in the New American Standard, you'll see the words here, as an offering. You see that? As an offering. You'll see those are in italics, I believe. Because as the Roman citizen in church on this particular Lord's Day morning, when they're hearing this letter read, uh, read they would have looked at the words for sin and they would have equated it with an Old Testament Jewish sacrifice that was offered for sin. 
So they would have heard it like this. God sent himself in the person of Jesus Christ, human flesh. It was sinless human flesh. And he came as an offering for your sin and the sin of all mankind. Right? That's John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who came to take away the sin of the world. That's what the Apostle Paul is reminding the Roman believers of here for their encouragement. And what did he do? He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin via his own bodily sacrifice on the cross. So the grammar is clear. Sin is eternally imprisoned and shackled. By the spirit of life, we have new life and release from the bondage and the influence of iniquity. That's our reality. And verse four, we conclude with the fruit. Now hang on with me here. Remember the succession. One, two, three, four. And look at the first two words of verse four. Pretty simple, so that. So everything that we've seen so far, with emphasis on verse three, is going to give us a purpose as to why it was given. This is a purpose clause in the Greek language. So someone who enjoys this reality of their standing is gonna live a certain way, that's all it's saying. They're gonna live a certain way. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I want you to notice again here as we conclude in verse four that we are passive and God is active. It's very, very important to remember this as well. This is something that God's grace compels us to do. For the purpose that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's what God does in Jesus Christ. And we no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God gives us the ability through the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ to live a different lifestyle. Christ comprehensively fulfilled the law of God. And And now that we have Christ in him, God is convinced that we have Christ too. So the righteous life we now live, we live by the power of the Spirit of God, not merely by our own life. So Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. He obeyed perfectly. He was sinless. When we trust Christ, in him, we've perfectly obeyed the law too. Not us by ourselves, we're sinners. But in him who is sinless, we now, according to God, have been declared perfect in our obedience to the law. The Holy Spirit is now God's ambassador to help us daily walk according to the scriptures, the Bible, God's perfect law of liberty. The law cannot make us holy, remember, but the Holy Spirit, the law of life in Christ, can practically and will practically develop us in Christ each and every day. One author said, God comes into you in Christ and overcomes sin as you yield to him. The law of the spirit of life has a new direction for us in Christ. The miracle of God's grace in our life has provided for us loving guardrails to keep us on the road to spiritual development and it's all by God's grace. 
divine power given to us from heaven that we don't deserve that helps us to live for him. This growth pattern or direction is described in the following phrase, as we've already considered, we will not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This new lease on life is not a lease on life to do as we please. Just because we have forever been forgiven, our purpose is now to walk according to the spirit in the flesh. And if you want to know what that looks like, just read Galatians 5, and you'll find in detail what it means to walk according to the spirit. But remember how passive we are so far in this context and how active God is. And remember Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you both to will, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And as you walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh won't do it. All right. Now, for those of you that may know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've lived a life of weakness for a time, right? if you're truly saved, you've never been condemned since the moment you've been saved. But remember, your weakness can be because you haven't had a consistent spiritual diet. You need to be mentored, you need to be shepherded, you need more of the food of God's word to grow to be shepherded and protected, right? Now that you understand, right, no condemnation, our standing in Christ, and now that you understand exactly what that no condemnation, our standing really means, as to its basis, right? As to its basis, as to its function and so forth, and its fruit and so forth, uh, learn the word. Keep learning the word. As they say, that's not rocket science. Spiritual protection is in spiritual learning. Right? Spiritual protection is in spiritual learning. Right? For those of you that have, may have known a lot about Jesus Christ, but you've never known him, knowing a lot about Jesus Christ will not change your life. Education about Jesus Christ will not change your life. The Spirit of God desires to transform your heart to persuade you of this. Not that knowledge of Jesus is not enough, but that you're a sinner. And you're condemned. That's the first part of the book of Romans we've already studied. You're condemned. But, but God sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sin. And you need to humble your heart and realize you cannot gain God's presence and time and eternity on your own. And you need to turn from your own sin that he died for. Remember, he condemned sin in his own flesh. He died for you. Right. And you need to turn from your sin, beg his forgiveness, and beg him to be your savior. Beg him for life eternal. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. God's not deaf, right? You may need to be saved this morning, right? And then come to realize you're standing in Christ, right? Now, absolutely no condemnation, only in him, only in him. Let's pray together.